Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Coming up, Lab and I recap another impressive week for Colin Morikawa and set the stage for what is shaping up to be an eventful Florida swing. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Brendan Grace earned his second PGA Tour victory sporting his new epic speed driver, hitting 13 of 14 fairways on Sunday at the Puerto Rico Open. He's got a full set of Jaws MD5 wedges, one of which he used a hole out for Eagle to take the lead. And he is rolling with a brand new Odyssey two ball putter. The same putter as John Rahm and the most played Odyssey model on tour since it launched a few weeks ago. Four of the top five in Puerto Rico used Callaway Epic Speed drivers. And on the LPGA tour, Callaway was the undisputed equipment leader at the first full field event of 2021. There were 33 new Epic drivers in play, making Epic the number one model in the field by far. In fact, there were more Epic drivers at the event than there were total drivers for any other brand. Okay, that will conclude the speaking portion of the podcast for me, as I'm sure you've got about 30 minutes locked and loaded for your boy Morikawa, who won the WGC Workday Championship. So you just bring me back when you're done and you want me to talk again. I mean, there was, Rex, there was a lot to get into. Uh, I, I, I figured. This, this past week. Of course, this was the first tournament that I covered uh, in the calendar year 2021. You, you went to L.A., uh, and stood outside the hospital that that Tiger Woods uh, was recovering in. We can two two hospitals, excuse me, and we'll we'll get into that uh, later on in this podcast because you were one of just a handful of reporters in the country uh, who were there. Uh, when you look back at the week that was, um, it certainly was interesting. Tuesday, Wednesday, it was kind of a surreal nature to uh, the tournament and how players were feeling as we were all kind of processing the information in, in real time. Um, and then by the time the actual tournament started, it just didn't, it just seemed like the sports world, the golfers minds were, were elsewhere. Um, I think by the time we finally got to the weekend and in particular Sunday, we, we were reminded yet again of, of Tiger's impact when you had more than a dozen players wearing the red shirts and honoring him in, in various ways, whether it was with their apparel or, uh, the TW on Billy Horschel's hat or the, Br- the Bridgestone players who had Tiger stamped on their golf ball. It was, it was certainly a, a surreal week and it was, it was kind of fitting that Colin Morikawa, a player whose who's clear hallmark of his game is his iron play and a player who like many in his generation idolized and admired Tiger growing up. It was fitting to see him basically have a Tiger-like performance 
in the sense that he hold the clutch putts they need to early in the round to kind of steady himself. It was the first time he had an outright lead on the PGA Tour. And then on the back nine, he basically snuffed all the excitement out of the tournament by just playing conservative, mistake-free golf, making a bunch of pars, never putting himself in any trouble. And it ended up being uh, kind of a, a, a sleepy Sunday in terms of, of the excitement level and, and the amount of drama. And that was certainly very Tiger, uh, very, very Tiger-like. It was, and it was impressive. I thought you were going to be so much more effusive. You must be tired. You drove all night, didn't you? You drove home. That was last just night. a setup. That was just an I intro. Know, I know, but normally when it's when it's one of your guys like this, you just you'll go on and you'll just gush, and that's not it. I I, I got to be honest with you, I'm disappointed. Now, the, the one thing I did find that was curious. Just a setup. We're not even uh, that. It, that was just a setup from the week. I haven't even. I haven't even cleared my throat when it comes to, to break. Oh, okay. Then, then I shouldn't have walked back in. That's my fault. Uh, the one thing that, that I found impressive in watching from afar, you brought up that he had found something in his putting that his putting was back. I think was the line that you thank used. You, on, thank you for reading. Uh, I do at least on Twitter, not, not in the real world, but at least on Twitter. However, like circling back around to your point, he was 10th in strokes game putting. He was first in strokes game putting T to green and approach. It was very much a ball striking display that he put on. And I know you're right. He, he made all those clutch putts he had to in, in those particular situations, but this was more of a ball striking victory. And I, I think back to the PGA championship, I think you could probably say the same thing about that. I don't think that anyone's ever going to think of Colin Morikawa as this generation's new Brad Faxon, but he, he's a very good putter. Um, if I had to point to one thing, he seemed a little inconsistent, uh, although he's young in his career, but outside of that, I mean, it, it was an impressive performance. So Mr. Stats guy, uh, a guy who right. absolutely despises my use of stats in this podcast, starts throwing out stats. To I thought, I, thought I should be preemptive. Game. Yeah, I What's thought that? I should be preemptive. I, I needed to be preemptive. I saw you digging through your notes. I knew it was coming, so I, I wanted to be preemptive. I mean, th so this this was the column that I that I wrote in the, in the story angle um, that we had. You covered the PJ Championship that Colin Morikawa won. And if, so if you want to throw stats out, that week at TBC Harding Park, Colin Morikawa was first in iron play and first in putting. That combination will never lose a golf tournament. If, if you look in the history of the sport, the person who had the best iron play and the best putting, I guarantee you that they won that golf tournament. And he just so happened to be the very best field in major championship golf to get his first one. That was a mirage. That is not how Colin Morikawa putts. He was never a good putter in junior golf. He was never a very good putter in college golf. And he has been not just a below average putter on the PGA tour. He has literally been one of the worst putters on the PGA tour entering last week's event, a concession. He was 213th on the PGA tour in putting. There's only 236 players who have been eligible to compete in that category. 213 out of 236. And so this was a player who was desperate to make a change. And it just so happened, uh, you know, the abridged version of this is saw Marco Mira was really intrigued by the saw putting grip, which is like a variation of the claw. Put it in play last week at or two weeks ago at this point at, at Riviera and made nothing. Literally worse in the field and putting. But the big thing was that he didn't panic because he knew that it felt better. The rhythm of his stroke was good. He was starting the ball where he wanted to. It was just perhaps some some misreads on the on the greens at, at Riviera and his caddy fully supported him saying look I, I don't think your stroke has ever looked better 
And so there was, there was a lot of conviction when he came to Florida and approached this golf tournament that he was on the right track with his putting. And he, and he was, he finished 10th in putting. That's not, you know, blow your socks off. Great. But when you are a fabulous iron player, like Kamorakawa is, when you're going to give yourself 13 to 15 chances per round to make birdies, if you're 10th in the field in putting, yeah, you're, you're probably going to win that tournament. And I think that's, what's so scary for the rest of the PGA tour, because if, if this isn't just a flash in the pan, if this isn't just a, a one week uh, hot putting week and, and Morikawa seems convinced that, that he's finally found a, a solution to his putting woes. I, I mean, this is a guy who's going to win 10 to 20 times on the PGA tour. The iron play is the key distinguisher of great players. That's been the hallmark of Tiger's game for his career. Yes, he was one of the longest when he first came out. Yes, he's been a, a historically clutch putter. But Tiger, throughout his career, has always been the best iron player on the PJ Tour. That title now belongs to Kawa Morikawa, and he is going to make a lot of money, and he is going to hoist a lot of trophies as long as his putter does not become a liability. Like it has 10 to 20 times. He's going to win 10 to 20 times. Yes. First, that's, that's a really big window. Let, let's be clear. There's a lot of careers between 10 and 20 four. times. He's already at four. Yes. And which is very He's impressive. The only player However, besides Tiger, 20 PGA tour victories is very difficult for the age of 25. How many players right now, active players have 20 PGA tour victories. I can tell you, you can count them on one hand. Uh, is VJ still active? Not on the PGA tour. Okay. I was going to say four. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Nailed so it doesn't it. happen. It, it doesn't happen very Nailed often. It. And I wouldn't even count Davis Love in there. But all right, I mean, okay. So, D, so DJ is what? I think thirty-six years old, thirty-seven years old. Yes, DJ it's Tiger 13 Phil. Thirteen years. It's thirteen years for Morikawa to to continue to rack up wins. And the one thing we've always said about DJ's game is, you go back, he has won every season, not every year. It's a distinction. Every season on the PGA Tour since he joined the PGA Tour, which is impressive beyond thought. Like that's the number we throw out when we say what what's most impressive about DJ. It's because he doesn't have an off year. He usually he at least gets one victory every year. The part that stands out about Morikawa to me is he doesn't have that kind of consistency. He's still very young in his career. I'll give you that, but after winning the Barracuda, his first event on the PGA Tour, he went seven starts with just a single top five. After winning the PGA, last year's major. The Barracuda, in literally his first handful of starts in the PGA Tour, that's that's what you want to winning the P, After winning the PGA, he went eight starts with just one top ten. It's not like I he's asked, doing this week in and week out. And it, okay. I asked him about that, and he said for the first time in his life, he felt content. He got lazy. He was satisfied with winning a major. That's never happened, this sense of contentment. That's never happened before. And if you want to talk about consistency, this is a player who, until he went through that lull last fall, he had more victories, three, than he had missed cuts on the PGA Tour, one. Think about that. He had more wins in the PGA Tour than he had missed cuts on golf courses that he was seeing for the very first time a year removed from college. It is not a leap to say that this guy can win 10 to 20 times in the PGA 20 is a leap. 20 is definitely if you look at the small body of work which is the only thing we have to go on you think justin thomas is going to get there yes because i think he's been more consistent over a longer period of time we have a larger sample size when it comes to justin thomas we have a larger sample size even when it comes to jordan speed even though he's at 
the bottom digging his way out at the moment. And there is the breathlessness, just the complete blind optimism that I expected when you were going to talk about Morikawa. 20 PGA Tour victories. And it's impressive that he has four. This is, again, that is, on, that is, he is on a trajectory. There are a lot of bodies easily. between 20, 10 and 20 on the PGA Tour. And I think 20 is is pretty much the benchmark. That's all the thing right win, there. I didn't say he's going to win more than 20. I say he's going to win in between 10 and 20. 20 is the benchmark. So if he wants to get to that, and I just not have seen the, that type of consistency. And here's what gets to me when we have these conversations, these breathless hyperbole conversations when it comes to Colin Morikawa. And immediately you looked on Twitter Sunday and it says only Tiger Woods won a major and a WGC before he turned 25, ignoring the fact that there were no WGCs back when Arnie and Jack were playing. Forget about that. Like forget about the fact that the WGC different areas you can't, you can't compare. Yeah. Forget about that. I mean, since, so we're, we're, we're looking at a very, very like golf history apparently started in 1999 when the WGC started. So if that's the way we're going to camp on it, any comparison to Tiger Woods is dangerous, dangerous to the player. Forget about if it's fair or not, or accurate or not. Tiger Woods. I'm just saying uh, 10 to 20 times. That is not a leap. That is those comparisons. Ask any PJ Tour player right now. Hey, how many times do you think Colin Morikawa is going to win on the PJ Tour? I promise you that 95% of them will say he will win between 10 and 20 times in the PJ Tour. That is not a leap. But you are going to compare him to Tiger about his ball striking. And I will say. Comparing him. You did when you said outside of Tiger when it came to his ball striking earlier in the podcast. We can run it back and I can show it to he you. Is the, he is the best iron player on the PJ Tour. That is that is indisputable. Now Tiger yeah. did it for Tiger did it for a dozen years. That's the difference. And Tiger did and Tiger was Tiger also powerful. He could speed. overpower and he, and he did it with length. And Colin Morikawa does not do it with length. He's squarely at the bottom of the pack at least this season 128th in distance on the pga he's, tour he's below average he's average he is two. below average and and when you look at what tiger brought over those 12 years whatever 12 years you want to look at if you want to look at 99 to, to 2009 or whatever snapshot you want to take he did multiple things really really well clutch putting long iron play and he drove the ball a really long way in an era when we were just coming around to the long ball mentality colin morikawa doesn't have all three of those tools and as from what I see, make, he only has two of those tools. Impressive? He only has two of those tools on a week by week basis. Like I still not convinced that he's going to be this great putter that you seem to think he is from this day going forward into time immemorial. He can certainly be streaky, which is what he's done in three, in, in all four of his wins. That was the, the weeks that he had positive strokes game putting. I mean, if, if he makes putts that week, he, because of his superb iron play, he is probably going to win. No one's comparing Colin Morikawa to Tiger. No one's saying that he's the next Tiger. His iron play is Tiger-like. Yes, his iron play is Tiger-like. Tiger also did it over a, a dozen years. And then, you know, after some injury-riddled years, he was once again the best iron player uh, in 2018 and 2019 as well. No one is saying that. But you could actually make the case that what Colin is doing is more impressive. Because this is even more of a bomb and gouge era on the PJ Tour. We're, we're length on a benign, regular season PJ Tour setup. Length has never been more, re- more rewarding than it is right now. And if Morikawa is averaging 295, 300 off the tee, and he's hitting seven iron into these greens that players are hitting pitching wedge or nine iron into, he's hitting it closer. He's hitting it closer relative to the, to the rest of the field while giving up. All of that. Actually, I'm not going to debate that. Dominic, no, we're not, we're not even close 
to what that might or might not look like in that situation, simply because he doesn't bring those tools to the table. And I, at least one of those tools and the other one putting, I haven't seen on a week by week basis to, to tell you, okay, that's going to be 20 wins on the PGA tour. I'm just not comfortable I said, I said, with that I move. Now the point, yeah, again, there's, there's a lot of distance between 10 you, and 20. You don't think Colin Morikawa can have six to 16 more above average weeks on the PGA tour putting? Uh, six, six, absolutely. 16 it's is, is a stretch. It's 16 is going to be a stretch. He's 24. Mm, again, I mean, I can start throwing out a lot of players that don't have JT, 10 PGA JT Tour. He has what, 13, 14 wins in the PGA Tour, somewhere around there? That's why I said it's no debate that he's going, like in my mind, okay, those, those comparisons are easy to make and fair. Because I think he's on a trajectory over a long period of time, over a distant period of time, compared to the short window that we're looking at more Kala. All right, I'm done getting bogged down with this. I do want to bring up one more thing before we move on, and it's, it's about distance. And you knew more about concession than most people, because I believe you covered NCAAs when they were there. I sure did. Uh, and my understanding was that was a bomber's golf course, and it was not won by a bomber. Was Were we simply wrong on the golf course, or did something change? Uh, you were wrong on the golf course when you. I wasn't there, wrong. I, I wasn't. I mean, I, you 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 weren't wrong. Where'd you where'd you come up with that uh, that thesis then? Uh, I heard some colleagues on the golf channel talking about it. Oh, okay. Well, listen. When Bryson DeChambeau won the 2015 NCAA Championship, he, he was he wasn't the Bryson that we that we know and love now. He was he was very much, if not the best iron player, one of the best iron players. Um, in college golf, I remember his college coach at the time, Jason Enloe, telling me that, that if you put Bryson DeChambeau on the PGA Tour right now, when they're talking about his end of his junior year at SMU, he'd be a top 25 ball striker on the PGA Tour. Like, that's how good he was, and that's why he was able to win on that golf course because I, I'm not sure how well it, it picked up on TV, just how undulating and sloping those greens were. Like there were very defined sections and it was severely running off in basically every other direction. There was a lot of complaints that, Oh, you know, this golf course has such a reputation for being a brew. And I remember the uh, superintendent went on TV saying that he wished it was playing harder. He wanted it faster and firmer and all this stuff. Like there's only so many times or there's only so many places that you can put, flags on those pins like that's how severe they were and so it was really important to hit the golf ball into those particular sections that's what bryson did so well in 2015 that's what morikawa did this year so no it was not a bomber's golf course it is a it is a very much second shot golf course and really being precise and accurate and no one did that better uh, than kyle morikawa did the field in general like this golf course Yes, I, I, I was actually surprised by that because there was a whole lot of complaining during NCAAs. And you got to keep in mind, that was kind of a different situation. That was the first year that the women's and the men's NCAAs were played in back-to-back -back weeks. And so they're, they're trying to, first and foremost, have the sternest test possible for the men while not embarrassing the women on a golf course that has really severe greens and tons of hazards and force carries and they didn't quite strike that balance perfectly and so during the women women's part of the championship you had scores in the 80s a couple players were in the 90s match play you're getting holes that were halved in doubles and triples and then for the men they kind of eased off the accelerator a little bit threw a lot of water on the golf course and it, and it played more presentable and bryson i think one at eight under par um and so 
what we had this past week, warm temperatures, uh, humid conditions. The greens were 12 and a half, 13, as opposed to 14, 14 and a half. The golf course was more green than a lot of members had ever seen it. Um, the PJ tour seemed very cognizant of the fact that they didn't want the best players in the world to be embarrassed. And that's a golf course that you can set up as hard as, as you want. You can set it up as hard as humanly possible. And I don't think the tour had any interest in doing that. And I think if you had more win for the four days, you weren't going to have, you weren't going to have 18 under par winning that you're going to have something in that, that 12 to 15 range instead. And I did want to touch, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it at the beginning of the podcast, but of course what happened with Tiger Woods on Tuesday in the single vehicle accident in Los Angeles, I'm curious what the vibe was like at the golf course. You kind of talked about it on Sunday, but how did it transition from Tuesday into Wednesday when we simply didn't know what his condition was? Yeah, Tuesday was, was very surreal. Um, you and I both live in Orlando. So it's about a two and a, two hour, two and a half hour drive to Bradenton. I got there about midday and was eating lunch when I believe it was a, a local television reporter in Los Angeles who first, who first broke the news um, that Tiger had been in a, in a car crash. And, and immediately it, I just, I went out to the range. Our, the media center was right there. And you could, you could literally see the news being processed in real time by, by players on the range. They're, they're kind of talking to each other in, in hushed tones they're on their phones scrolling through either news updates or Twitter or however they were getting it. Um, talking to players after their practice round. It was, I mean, it was the talk of the entire thing where they're you're just getting updates as they were coming in. And, you know, obviously you were, you were following this story. It, it progressed throughout the day in, in stages where, you know, you heard he was in a, a very serious car accident. That's, that's one thing. Then you saw the images of the car and you immediately fear the worst. And then a couple hours after that, it was the statement, I believe, from um, Sheriff's Department that said it was not life-threatening. And so it kind of evolved throughout the day. And you saw players, I think their concern level, fortunately, you know, went down. Um, but they were still very leery of, of saying too much um, just because there was that, that dearth of information. And then Tuesday night, you had the the update from tiger and Wednesday, I think players were a little bit more relieved and a little bit more willing to talk just because it was clear that, Hey, you know, it was a super serious car accident. Uh, he has an extremely long road and recovery ahead of him, but most importantly, he's, he's alive. Uh, his kids didn't lose their, their father. Um, golf is very much, um, in the back, in the background on the, at this point, but, but at least, at least we know the facts of the situation. And that's, that's kind of where they were on, on Wednesday. And, and I was taken, I mean, Rory McElroy is usually the guy that you, you go to in these types of situations. Cause he seems to put it into context better than anyone else in the game at the moment. And he was asked a common question, which I, I can imagine me asking, had I been there, but you know, can any, you know, if anyone could bounce back from something like this, it would be Tiger Woods. And Rory's response was, well, he's not Superman. And I, I thought it was interesting because a couple of things, and, and I tend to agree with the question because we've seen Tiger Woods come back from many, many injuries over the course of his career, things that we thought were probably going to end him, at least competitively, that did not. However, in this context, and I was taken by the idea that at 45 years old, it's not a matter of if he can come back, it's a matter if he wants to come back. Does he have the motivation to, to oh, come back? I still back? think it's very much an, an issue of if he can. 
I, I don't know about that. And I don't think that we have all the information and I wouldn't expect we, we were going to get all the information. I mean, I, it, the way it unfolded with me is I got a call from our editor about two 30 and, and then you start tracking the story. And I was waiting for the second follow-up call, which is okay, go to the airport and get on a plane. And that didn't come thankfully until too late on Tuesday for me to get a late flight to LA. So I was on the first flight on Wednesday and I've, I've made this flight before when he got, you know, when he was found in his car in Jupiter a few years ago in the DUI. And this was different because even on Wednesday, as you were flying out, we still didn't, we still don't know the full extent of the injuries. However, in this particular situation, you do start thinking about like, you know, I never thought about his kids when I was flying to Jupiter to sit in front of the police station for a week. I, I never thought about the people around him who very well could have ended up without their father, without their friend, without their son, whatever the case may be. And, and it did put it in a much different context. As far as being out there, it, it you know, it bring, I've done this too many times. So it sort of brings back those memories of, you know, standing in front of Isleworth when that happened in 2009 or standing in front of the Jupiter police department. Um, and there were two hospitals. One was not very nice. The other one was very nice. Cedar Sinai. It's right in the middle of Hollywood where he got moved. Uh, I believe it was on Wednesday. So he's in a much better place now. However, the part that gets me is I know, I don't think we have the full picture as far as his health. We know the multiple procedures to his right leg. We know that the breaks, we know the ankle injuries, you start, you know, trying to flush this out as best you can. And my mind immediately went to a former tour player. His name was John Engler, who, when he turned pro shortly after leaving Clemson, he was involved in, in a really horrific accident, a lot like Tiger Woods's, and had a very similar injury to Tiger's, where they had to essentially rebuild his ankle. So I called John and I was taken by, he said his doctor told him right out of surgery that don't even ask about playing golf again for at least a year. And that was back in 2003. And he was very quick to say, look, things have changed. Medicine's gotten better, cutting edge. He is Tiger Woods. There's a lot that goes into this. However, I don't like, it was amazing. My entire time out there, I never thought about when he could possibly play golf again so much as when can he go home to his kids? When can he go home to Jupiter and, and finally go home to his house and find some peace? Because when you think about everything he's been through, I don't know that there's much peace right now for him. So what's the, what's the process when you're, when you're out there, we, we, we see on, on your we face, see, what's happening here? We see on golf central. We see on golf today. What, what was the process like in trying to, to gain information? There's obviously some HIPAA, some HIPAA regulations that prevent you. We're talking about one of the, if not the most secretive athlete uh, in the history of sports. Um, what was that process like trying to gather information and, and relay to the public? Uh, like I said, I've done this a couple of times. So you immediately reach out to the, there's a public information officer with the Sandy, San, uh, oh, sorry, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. And what's disturbing about that, and I don't want to make light of this at all, but what's disturbing about reaching out and getting your name on a list so you can get updates on Tiger Woods, you get updates on everything else. And the updates that I've gotten from Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department over the last week are absolutely terrifying. That is no place to live. I mean, it, there are homicides every single hour. I mean, it is horrifying to see these updates that come out constantly. And so that's the first part of the process. Uh, you mentioned- is, is, there like a, is there like an unsubscribe from the list option where you can just click on Tiger Woods centric material? But no, no. So I have to, I, I have to stay in this this macabre game for at least until the investigation's over and I can you know, see what- That's gonna take, that could take months. 
it, it could. And I'm, I'm going to a darker place every morning when I check my email. I've got to be honest with you. It's very difficult. I think, it, but the other half of this is his health. And as you mentioned, he, no one is more private, clings to his privacy more than Tiger Woods. And I will give them credit right out of the gates that they allowed the hospital, the first hospital he checked into, which was Harbor UCLA Medical Center, to release a statement and give some details about the surgeries and the procedures that he went through. And, and they were very graphic and they, they were laid out very well. I think going forward, the rest of that will be very private. I wouldn't expect Tiger or his foundation or his agent or anyone else around him to start giving him information because that's not going to change. What was the road like that Tiger crash? I know you went to go visit it. Uh, I did drive down it uh, straight from the airport and it's easy to see. And there's going to be the the obviously question here is, is, well, are there going to be any charges or why wasn't there a toxicology report? There's a lot of ways we can go with this. But when you, when I drove down the road, I could easily put myself in his shoes. It's a very winding road. It's a very steep hill that he was coming off of. So steep, in fact, that there's like one of those runoff roads just on the other side of the curb. So anybody that's out of control can just sort of barrel up this hill and, and hopefully not hurt themselves or anyone else around him. So it gives you an idea of how, how steep and hilly this road is. And you can see he was clearly speeding, 45-mile-an-hour zone. He was late to a photo shoot at a golf course called Rolling Hills Country Club. And he probably got a text, probably looked down on his phone and looked up. And next thing you know, he was going over the curb and the car was flipping. And it's, it's a testament to how well that car was made. It's a, four, he, it's a four lane road, isn't it? Across incoming traffic and then ended up about 40 feet off the other side of the road. And, and any of us that saw those images, I think, just had to be amazed that he wasn't injured more than what we know up to this point. Uh, as far as. And this, these were the questions that I got mostly from our bosses that they wanted to answer was, why wasn't there a toxicology report? And, and I can speak to this a little bit, saying that in this particular instance, Tiger, he, he was conscious when the first officer arrived. He answered questions. And there was no reason for that officer to think he was impaired in any way. As the sheriff said in his press release and his press conference, he wasn't drunk. And there was no reason. There was no probable cause to think he was impaired. Therefore, they don't have a right. I mean, that's, that's the legal threshold is there has to be some sort of probable cause and there was not. Now there might've been a toxicology test given when he was checked into the hospital, but the sheriff's department wouldn't have access to that. And as far as what he may or may not be charged with, I, I learned, I did not know this, that new cars have black boxes now and that hmm. they're going to be able to tell how fast he was going at the moment of the crash. And they'll probably also get his, his phone records to see if he might've been distracted. That all being said, the sheriff, in his press conference last week, pretty much dismissed even charging him with reckless driving, which would be the, at the low end of the threshold, I would think. So this, unlike everything else that we've sort of gone through with Tiger Woods, this seems to be a genuine accident. And it was a horrific accident. And we all hope for the best. But I, I don't know that you can sort of look into this and think that there was anything other going on, anything else going on other than he was late, he was tired, he was probably distracted, he was speeding, and a very bad accident happened. Yeah, there was a very interesting uh, USA Today story that came out, I believe on Sunday, uh, talking to medical experts who had either examined the scene or had gone over thousands of these similar cases. And I, I think they 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 didn't make I, what I viewed as um, unnecessary leaps or um, kind of draw too many conclusions, but they seemed to deduce from the evidence that Tiger was either A, asleep, or B, he had been distracted. And I think it's going to take weeks 
probably even months until we just get a, a fuller picture of what actually happened that day. If we ever find out. Well, I don't know that we would ever find out that he was asleep. Like that's not something that the black box or his phone or anything else is going to tell you. And there weren't any witnesses as far as we could glean, at least from the initial uh, investigation. I, I will say that it was a bit surreal when the sheriff gave, and it was a virtual press conference on Instagram live. And, and, he, and he pretty much absolved Tiger of anything. And this was less than 48 hours after the incident. And, but he did say that the investigation was still ongoing. So that part is interesting where it seems to me they've, kind of already decided that however this is going to medical, play out. Yeah, and the, the experts in this USA Today story said that that was really premature. Um, Felt like it. There's, there's, there's much to be gleaned from the information they can still they can still pour over. And there's going to be body cam footage, which will also be telling, because the first officer on the scene, his name was uh, Deputy Carlos Rodriguez. He, he spoke with him, and so you'll get he'll have an opportunity to – to, to see Tiger's state of mind in that particular case. Now, the sheriff did say that when investigators went to talk to Tiger in the hospital about the accident, that he had no recollection of the crash, which isn't out of the ordinary from the experts I spoke to that when someone goes through something traumatic like this, that's normally the case, that you, your mind is going to block it out. And the first deputy on the scene said that Tiger wasn't aware of the extent of his injuries or how the crash happened or that he was even in a crash. So all of these things will be flushed out, but having done a very similar story to this, when it, you know when he got the DUI in Jupiter, it, it, this did seem, it, the Jupiter Police Department seemed much more slow when it came to deciding when and if they were gonna press charges, when and if, what those charges would be, as opposed to the sheriff in Los Angeles County seemed to be very, very quick to the trigger. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think there's, I think there's much to still come out. Uh, I'm not sure how much we will get out uh, or, or learn about the process, but it'll take weeks, months. Um, I think the next step for, for Tiger, at least, is hopping back on a plane and, and just getting back to, to South Florida at, at this point and beginning what is going to be a very long, arduous, difficult road to recovery, one that, as, as you said with John Engler, is, is going to take at least a year um, before he can even think about putting the peg in the ground again and, and, and potentially resuming his PJ tour career. I mean, it certainly seems unlikely at this point, but, but we've been wrong before. And I, I spoke with a doctor, a foot and ankle specialist who had been through a lot of these procedures before David Murphy. And he said that he, the way the process will probably work, he will probably get on a plane in the next day or so. He figured it would take about a week before, you know, if that, barring any complications for him to be well enough to get on a plane and fly home. Now, that might have changed when he got transferred to Cedars-Sinai. Again, we don't have a lot of information when it comes to that. The other half of it is, the way he explained it to me is because his injuries are non-weight-bearing, he probably can't even think about starting the rehabilitation process for about four to six weeks. Like, he simply is just dead in the water. So, sorry, terrible term, but you get the idea. He's not going to be able to do anything when it comes to rehab. The other part of this is, as we all know, he had his fifth surgery on his back back in December, and there was it a rehabilitation. It wasn't necessarily the, the the paragon of health before yeah. he before he mangled his legs and has just serious traumatic injury to his lower half. Well, in that rehab that he was going through for his back, just to come back, and we were hoping maybe he plays the players, maybe he plays the Masters. We weren't quite sure at that point. 
that's going to be set back as well. So all these things are going to kind of compound. So we're going to have to wait and see. And you're right. It's going to be a very long process. I'm, I'm going to get you out of here on this because you obviously didn't have an opportunity to do anything in a hotel room last week. What's on the grill this week, Laugh? Uh, funny you should ask. So we just picked up some some mahi-mahi to do some fish tacos tomorrow. Look forward to doing that. I'll probably do it on the Traeger just so we don't uh, have it over direct heat. And you really don't have to say the brand. You realize that, right? Oh. You can just say, all right, go ahead. Okay. I was just getting cooking there. Um, literally. Um, and then let's see. I, what I want to try this week, Rex, I, I know you've never heard of it, is something called picanha. Have you ever heard of picanha? Uh, I have not. No. Okay. It is essentially a sirloin cap steak. And so what you have is a sirloin steak that is protected by a very thick, hard fat cap that goes around it. And when you cook it and render it down a little bit, obviously that's going to seep into the meat and make it a little bit more flavorful. It's what you would have if you went to a Brazilian restaurant, a Brazilian steakhouse, and you ordered steak. Like that's how it's going to come. And so that is my big project for this week. We're going to get some picanha. We're going to fire up the gateway drum smoker. There it is. And we are, we are going to cook it. I look forward to sending you Snapchats. Um, of this process. I'm very excited. It should be, it should be quite delicious, even though Rex, and this is, this is a new development since we did our podcast. Uh, my cholesterol was back in a, in a zone, uh, which I guess medical experts would term uh, slightly dangerous um, in terms of where some of my numbers are. So I, I may, I may have to scale back uh, some of my grilling, although I don't want to go back to the days when I had to fire up the big green egg just to have like a, uh, portobello mushroom, or I was I was grilling corn and asparagus. That was that was a very sad time. That, that doesn't even feel like grilling. So this is what we have. We have Tiger Woods who won't give us any information about his his medical history and where he is at health wise, and you who offer far too much information to the general public about where you are health wise. Very good. <laughs> oh, I also bought boneless, skinless chicken thighs. Uh, so I'll I'll do those. I'll do those probably on Friday. All right. Check us out next week for the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Rex Hoggard. He's Ryan Lavner. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.